Good afternoon. Um, first, I would like to extend my sincere thanks to Dr. Michael Willis, Dr. Mohamed Salah Omri, um, to Ferdinand um, Abel, I'm sorry, Abel, um, and Oxford University for graciously inviting me to, Tunisia, to, to this Tunisia conference. Eight years ago, when I was conceptualizing a dissertation topic, and two years later, when I researched the politics of dissent under Ben Ali's Tunisia from 2008 until 2010, I could have never imagined a conference solely dedicated to Tunisian politics and society, similar to what um, Michael said in his introductory remarks. So thank you again for organizing this fantastic conference. My talk today, The Architecture of, Descent, of Resistance, draws from my doctoral dissertation, which I was completing, as Tunisia erupted in protest in 2010 and 2011, a number of articles that I have um, published in the last three years, as well as my forthcoming book on resistance, dictatorship, and Ben Ali's Tunisia. In the next 15 minutes, I will reconstruct the politics of the Ben Ali era and introduce a theoretical framework that allowed me to capture a long-standing, creative, and maturing subculture of contention, dissent, as well as resistance. Um, over three years ago, the January 14, 2011 revolution that unfolded so rapidly in Tunisia and vibrated across the Arab world prompted academic and policy circles to pinpoint the origins of a, of a movement that toppled Ben Ali. So far, the most popular origin story circulating among international observers approximates a creation myth, that of the young produce seller Mohamed Bouazizi setting himself on fire in the south-central town of Sidi Bouzid, protesting local corruption, indignity, and economic frustration. The dramatic public self-emulation, according to popular recounting, unchained years of political obedience and pushed thousands to take to the street and protest, at that point illegally, against the ancient authoritarian regime, or so it seemed. As the Mohamed Bouazizi story began waning among Tunisians, outside observers, too, started searching for new anchors that would explain the seemingly unpredicted, unpredictable events of 2010 and 2011 in Tunisia. Origin stories have since become notorious in Tunisia's public discourse, with radically divergent accounts identifying the first signs of transgression against the Ben Ali regime, from a violent confrontation between police and soccer fans at a spring 2010 soccer game at the Stade El Menza, um, around the same time as the monastir self-emulation of Abdel Salam Trimesh, to the e-mobilization protest campaign against internet censorship Tunisian Blanc or Tunisian White in May 2010, the 2008 rebellion in the southern mining towns of Redeyev and Medlawi, as well as the city of Gafsa, the 2005 World Internet Freedom Conference, among other moments of transgression dating to the late 1980s when Ben Ali took power in a bloodless coup d'etat. Origin stories, however, have contributed surprisingly little analytical value in explaining the January 2011 toppling of Ben Ali. Quite simply, there was no single point of origin beyond the widespread popular hatred that came hand in hand with Ben Ali's dictatorial ambitions very early in his rule. As you know, Ben Ali's politics from the early 1990s were defined by two dominant trends, which my colleagues will speak about in just a moment, political dictatorship and economic corruption. A recent World Bank report published earlier this spring entitled All in the Family details the strategies and extent of corruption under Ben Ali and his network of families. In this brief talk today, I will show how the 2011 revolution emerged from seemingly scattered resistance and dissent in Tunisia under dictatorship, and how these moments and their actors became increasingly interconnected and mature by 2010. Already in the mid-1990s, when Ben Ali's reversal to authoritarian rule was confirmed and street-based protests in support of Palestinian solidarity across the Middle East abounded, Tunisian dissidents, too, were actively carving out spaces for domestic dissent already heard about this, but I think a lot of people, when they talk about the Ben Ali era, like to uh, remind us of the Tunisian paradox. 
Um, from a scholarly and analytical perspective, political and social scientists from the 1980s until 2010 were primarily and largely concerned with understanding the mechanisms of authoritarian sustainability. From co-optation of civil and political society, as well as state capture of the economy, to outright and brutal repression. It is for this reason that scholars grappled with the so-called Tunisian paradox, playing on a somewhat outmodeled developmentalist theories of the 1960s, um, Barrington Morris, no bourgeoisie, no democracy, um, uh, and asking why, as Michael has already said, an increasingly economically empowered middle class was so unwilling to push for political liberties. Um, answers varied from critics who challenged the legitimate economic autonomy of Tunisia's middle class, and these are the, the, the individuals who are writing about the paradox of state-led development, um, as well as a tightly controlled uh, credit system, to regime defenders and apologists that Tunisia is simply not ready uh, for democracy, and therefore Tunisians don't want to push for change. This narrative, of course, thrived in the shadow of Ben Ali's ubiquitous official narrative of progress, development, and democracy. Contrary to the grim pictures of political quiescence under dictatorship, images that were reproduced by scholarly research on the country beginning with Eva Bell and Stall Democracy, through Stephen King's Authoritarianism Against Liberalization, Beatrice Hebrew's The Force of Basins, Tunisians did indeed protest the dominance of the state. There are many reasons why scholars were hesitant to look at resistance during that period. There, um, for one, because political science on the Middle East and North Africa was at that point fetishizing the strategies of autocrats to sustain themselves alongside their, alongside their phony um, uh, international public relations strategies about democracies in each of these countries. And Syria, Jordan, and Tunisia were up uh, among the top countries who invested in these large international PR campaigns. Secondly, the dissent that did exist was, was pushed into informal, seemingly non-political spaces, such as soccer stadiums, faint transgressions in the print press, and daring political cartoons, as well as widespread jokes circulating um, uh, uh, in Tunisia. Organized dissent in the form of political parties um, or independent civic associations was practically non-existent, as many observ observers noticed, noted in this period. So how to identify, study, and theorize dissent under dictatorship? Thinking about Michel Foucault, however romanticized, the power resistance cycle, or in other words, where there's power, there's always resistance, at the very least pushed the researcher to consider the very basic notion that power produces resistance. Following Lisa Wedin's study of the cult of personality of Hafez al-Assad in Syria, I took as my first site of contestation the ubiquitous and omnipresent uh, uh, cult of Ben Ali. Unlike the sophisticated and historically rooted cult in Syria, Ben Ali's personality cult was naive in content, consisting of supersized photos of the president in three poses, hands clasped, hands to the heart, arms open, the number seven symbolizing the day he took power on November 7th, uh, 1987, um, as well as his favorite color, purple. I'm going to run you through some of the um, cult images to show how. Um, I have written extensively of how the cult worked, in quotes, and how it was practiced and performed by Tunisians, from naming businesses Café Set, Seven Air, Seven Gel, to purchasing expensive adver advertising space in glossy magazines. Um, sorry. In, uh, in glossy um, magazines thanking the president and his wife, Laila Torbelsi, to participating in mandatory uh, party events. Um, conferences and public parades during phony elections, national holidays, the Mediterranean games, and so on, um, to changing all landlines in the mid-1980s to 7-1, or 7-11, indicating the day that Ben Ali came to power. 
Most recently, I had the chance to interview the first and the last architect of this ludicrous, expansive, and outright phony political project, confirming a lot of these um, uh, speculations of the, of, the, of the era. The cult's phoniness and ubiqu uh, ubiquity saturating public space across the country was intended primarily to force compliance and political obedience among Tunisians. Yet, paradoxically, as well as logically, it produced the exact opposite. Um, Tunisians mocked its presence, reenacted it, created jokes around it, and dramatically tore it down um, even before Ben Ali fled Tunisia in 2011. Ben Ali's cult of personality, its physical presence, tentacular reach into everyday life, and its practice thus constitu uh, constituted the first site of political contestation. In the process of un uncovering a variety of forms of dissent, I constructed a broad theoretical framework that allowed me to categorize dissent by form and time, analyze moments of overlap, a maturing of activism, and finally a breakthrough in the form of a, a social, non, social non movement, uh, to use Asif Bayat's term. This framework constituted both a critique as well as complement to studies of authoritarian sustainability and the perceived lack of organized dissent in Tunisia. Um, sorry. Okay. Hidden transcripts, borrowing from Jim Scott, constitute the jokes, mockeries, rumors, and gossip about Ben Ali, his network of families, and his public cult of personality. These jokes and gossipy stories were told and retold around kitchen tables, working class beer halls, um, the thousands of cafes across the country among intimate groups of friends, always hiding from the eyes of the power holders. Comparable to the rise of Solidarność in Poland, these resistant discursive moments that formed a widespread dissident subculture, one that over time bred sustained hatred and contempt for the repressive politics of the Ben Ali regime. One that everyone acknowledged, but not necessarily practiced. This dissident subculture in the form of hidden transcripts thus formed the background and more sustained and visible acts of transgression. In two th 2001, for instance, the late economist Zubar Yahyawi created an e-journal called Tunisine, which I'm sure many people have gone and uh, looked at back issues of it. Um, again, in Tunisine, he's mocking the zine of Zina Abedin Ben Ali, um, publishing commentaries and banned articles about harassment against freedom of expression activists, including Siham Ben Sidrin, the director of the then online magazine Kalima Monsef Marzouki, and persecution of members of the radical leftist group Raid Attack Tunisia, as well as the National Council for Liberties in Tunisia, uh, among many other groups that formed in the decade that Tunisian was published. Tunisian was also a hub for some of the most daring and creative political cartoons, mocking the cult of the number seven and publishing the infamous pink flamingo cartoon of anonymous uh, opponent Z. When in 2009, a blogger by the name of Fatma Riyahi, or um, Fatma um, Arabica was wrongfully arrested in Tunisia and charged with producing Z's cartoons, ridiculing and mocking the Ben Ali regime. Z immediately published a cartoon saying, I'm not Fatima. In its seventh issue, Tunisian published uh, Judge Mukhtar Yahyawi's open letter to Ben Ali, criticizing the alarming absence of judicial freedom and democracy. The second letter following the daring Mohamed Sharfi open letter of 1999, signed by 100 academics, Tunisian academics. While visible forms of dissent appeared scattered in the early 2000s and clustered, uh, 2000s and clustered around political opportunities, such as government-sanctioned protests and international conferences, they nonetheless expanded and matured quickly. Beginning in 2001, Tunisian dissidents were actively carving out spaces to push for freedoms of expression, political liberties, and release of unfully detained political prisoners. Much dissent was concentrated in Tunis, though at moments, activists from other regions, especially the mining areas, began mobilizing against increased government repression. 
Oftentimes, activists would critique and subvert the Benavi government during state-sanctioned pro-Palestinian, uh, pro anti-Israel, or um, pro-Iraq, anti-US uh, protests, as well as during sit-ins organized around the World Summit on the Information Society in 2005, which many saw was quite ridiculous to hold it in Tunisia that was censoring um, the internet quite harshly in the last decade of Ben Ali's rule. Domestic grievances focused on political violence, liberty of expression, jailing of, um, of communists belonging to the Pakt, Anahta supporters, harassment of oppositional journalists, and unfair hiring conditions in the mining region. So the grievances were quite a large smear um, uh, of issues. Pushed out of public space, Tunisian activists began exploring alternative spaces for expression including cyber activism, a form of resistance that became more sophisticated and widespread in the decade leading up to the 2011 revolution. So the Tunisian revolution then becomes a political moment on a continuum of resistance that has been building over time and space. Let me um, uh, give you a short example. And this is an example that I drew from a larger data set of um, protests that I've been building since the, uh, since the 1990s. On March 11th, 2003, the ruling RCD party um, a group of regime-authorized or oppositional party, as well as state-controlled associations, organized a pro-Iraq march in downtown Tunis on then Place Set Novembre, which is now uh, the 14th January Square around the clock tower. According to international news sources, approximately 5,000 protesters participated calmly, and no clashes with the police were reported. On March 25, 2003, the Tunisian General Labor Union, the UGTT, with report of regime-compliant opposition parties and the Tunisian Commission for Human Rights, which had already become co-opted at that point, organized the same pro-Iraq march in downtown Tunis with no reports of clashes. Within weeks, young members of the Pakt, the communists from the mining region of Gafsa, organized an unauthorized protest in support of Iraq in the mining town of Redeyev, the site of a six-month rebellion just a few years later, uh, in 2008. The youth activists in Redeyev were supported by um, student members of the illegal communist student movement in Tunis. The loosely organized protest in Redeyev, as well as the leftist Marxist student in Tunis, was one of the first instances of a nationwide mobilization of radical leftists under Ben Ali. As with a similarly um, unauthorized pro-Palestinian march in 2002, the police quickly turned against the protesters, who again began collectively chanting against the police for curbing their freedom of assembly and expression, and at moments asking the police to defect and join their struggle against the regime. So this is an example where a um, movement that has nothing to do with Tunisia, nothing to do with Ben Ali, is co-opted by the protesters, and where they then try to get the security forces onto their side. Ferdinand, shut it off. <laughs> so, I'm just gonna I'll continue. Um, scattered moments of dissent, such as those briefly summarized in this presentation, are oftentimes overlooked because they do not seem to constitute a clearly defined social movement. However, these activities, according to Asif Bayat again, form the lived circumstances that can easily and swiftly snowball into grievance-based protest, as witnessed in the 2008 Gafsa of Matlawi events, as well as the Facebook mobilization campaign preceding the Tunisia in white flash mob. Between 2008 and 2010, resistance against Ben Ali converged as activists, bloggers, and oppositional journalists began seizing any political opportunity to transgress the regime. By 2010, regime opponents more fluently navigated government censorship, linking cyber activism with traditional strikes and street-based protests. The convergence of resistance in this period was a result of activists increasingly exploiting any issue from unemployment to internet freedom that pushed against the Ben Ali state. 
This momentum clearly defined the trajectory of the 2010 and 2011 protests, initially marked by a myriad of grievances. If you follow the um, geography of protests, you see that the grievances changed quite radically in, in the two-week um, period, which eventually co coalesced under the banner of all Tunisians united against Ben Ali. The subculture of dissent was but one element alongside a number of uh, other important structural shifts that led to the 2011 tipping point. And I believe a lot of people are going to be speaking about these structural shifts today and tomorrow. So what happened next over the last uh, three years is the subject of the many talks and papers following this first panel. Um, over the next day and a half, I look forward to learning and rethinking those many political moments, however complex and uh, exciting and difficult at times. Thank you.